listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. season is, uh, we have a lot of things going on, right? Um, we have an angel tree in the foyer, just thinking about things here at the church. And I, I want us to not be so encumbered by the things that are happening in our families or in this world that we don't lose sight of. We gather here on a Sunday morning and proclaim the excellencies of Christ. The first Noel, joy to the world, he has come to proclaim good news. And we have this opportunity here as a church. This isn't necessarily even part of uh, this morning's passage, but I just want us to be reminded that for, for, some, for some of us, I, I know for me, we can become distracted, and I've talked about that the, the past few weeks, but we often become very short-sighted, and we have these blinders on, especially during this season. And so may we be reminded of those around us who are struggling whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, whatever that is. And so we as a church want to come alongside of those in our community around us. We talk about those serving around the world. And so we have a few opportunities for you during the season. One is the angel tree. Uh, and that's a chance for us to provide gifts of varying degrees and varying prices to women who are choosing life over death. And so while we have all these different things going, around, going on around us, don't forget about these ladies who are right here in our backyard. And so grab an ornament off of the angel tree there in the atrium. And there are some that are just a few dollars if you only have a few dollars to spare. There are some if you want to uh, purchase things that are, if you want to spend hundreds of dollars, man, that's great. Get some big ticket items. But we gather here on Sundays not just to be encouraged ourselves, but to be reminded of this joy of Christ is for the world, and sometimes it starts right here in our very own backyard. Uh, we have opportunities uh, to give, like with the Give Hope Giving campaign. We, we want to see those in our community, those here in our body, be encouraged and edified and strengthened uh, through soul care, through counseling. Now, I mentioned last week how we want to bring on Keith Keller and uh, use, utilize his gifts and his abilities, and uh, we want to use him here in this body. And so we're trying to raise $30,000, and we've raised a few thousand dollars already, um, but before the, the year's end, if you would prayerfully commit to giving money so we can help support this guy for the sake of the souls here in this body, and we want to be fully equipped to be able to care for each other throughout the week. Uh, I met with several people this week, probably more than in the past few weeks, the one thing that I kept hearing over and over um, is that folks are just struggling. Folks are struggling. My week started even early this week. Uh, I had a couple of conversations with people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. And if I said anybody there, you're like, I'm not raising my hand. Because those are things we don't really talk about in the church, right? But, but we have folks among us, around us, who are to the point where they think, does my life even matter? It's difficult to wake up in the morning. And this is on the heels of me getting up last week and talking about peace. It's like, wait, why can't we just grab a hold of that? But how many of us have considered even this past week, 
finding our peace in Jesus and thinking, man, I know he talked about it. I know he used like 30 Bible references, but it's still really difficult. Anybody there? I know I am. Yeah, me and one other guy. Awesome. We'll hang out later. (laughs) But we're there because peace is so out of the ordinary for us, right? We are, we saw last week how Genesis chapter 3, there's this enmity between us and God that's put there because of sin. But if you even think about our nation, like we, we had this revolutionary war. It, all of our football and basketball games begin with bombs bursting in air, <laughs> you know? And that's okay. I'm, I'm all for that stuff. I'm, I'm glad that we're a nation. Like, I'm, I'm not knocking that. But I'm just saying, like, war is natural to us. We're naturally there. And so peace for us almost seems outside of the realm of possibility, And I was sitting, as I was thinking even this past week, I know last week I said the opposite of peace is war, and I'll stand by that. I think we've declared war on God, and we have in Genesis chapter 3, and we were all born into that, and we still all volitionally, voluntarily do that every single day when we sin and rebel against him. But I was thinking about in my own life, and I was sitting uh, with my counselor this week, and I thought, man, where is there not peace in my life? And I began talking through some of those areas where I'm lacking peace personally. And he, two things. I, I can't tell you everything else. If, if, uh, if you're interested by that, then uh, we'll grab some five guys or something later. But, but two things. One, he said, why are you not experiencing peace? And it was easy for me to regurgitate what I said up here last Sunday morning. Well, I've declared war on God, and that's true. But for me personally, the opposite of peace is being restless. And maybe you feel that restlessness inside of your soul. Maybe you're, whatever that restlessness is, maybe it's with your job or with your spouse or with your kids or with your socioeconomic level or with not knowing what the future is or with something that's happening to you or it's with something where someone has abused you in the past. Wherever it is, you're probably feeling restless, and you're like, man, I want to experience peace, but I can't because I'm restless. The second thing he said to me, he asked me, he said, if Jesus were to walk in right now, what are the words that you'd want, him to, that you'd want to hear from him? And I said, first, I said that, that he approves of me. I said, no, 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 I don't like that. I don't, I don't think it's approval. Because even with approval, there's a certain proving that goes along with that. And you can either approve or deny someone day to day. And maybe your spouse does that to you. Maybe your boss does that to you. I said, I want to hear the words, you are accepted. And he said, Jesus accepts you. And can I tell you this morning, friends, brothers and sisters, If your faith is in Jesus Christ and him alone, the Father looks at you and says, you are accepted. You are accepted. In the midst of feeling restless, in the midst of war, in the midst of distraction, and family dissension, in the midst of striving and trying harder, 
in the midst of your sin and your selfishness and your self-righteousness, you are accepted. Not because of anything that you have done or could do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. There is peace in that good news. There is peace only found in Jesus. So this morning, find your peace in him. That's not normal for us. We don't normally think about that. It doesn't seem possible. But this morning, we're going to look at something that we often pursue all of the time. This is a little more natural for us, and that's joy. This is something that uh, we're constantly pursuing. We're constantly looking to find joy in places. And so last week, it's like, ah, is this even possible? Today, it's like, yeah, I'm looking for joy all the time, whether you want to admit it or not. I was looking up uh, on dictionary.com uh, last night. I was looking at the definition of joy, and it's this, it's this, it's this state of elated happiness. And oftentimes, we, we have this, uh, this definition and this idea that joy and happiness are almost the same thing, but... One of them is in the Bible and one of them is not, so it must be spiritual and one must not be. And so we have to figure out what's the difference between joy and happiness. I was thinking, you know, sometimes we, we do things for the sake of happiness, like for our kids, but not necessarily for the sake of joy. And maybe if you were a kid, uh, you can relate to this. And maybe if you're a parent, maybe you've done this. I have. For the sake of happiness, have you ever given your kids as much candy as they wanted? like in one kind of sitting. And maybe they are going somewhere. For my kids, like the ultimate dream is uh, like Monster Jam. You know, that's because of their grandparents, not my parents. Uh, so uh, for them, it's like, man, let's go to Monster Jam and let's get cotton candy and let's eat at the varsity. And let's, while we're there, let's get some of this candy. And then they get back home and all that happiness begins to just kind of work its way back out of them. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? And so it wasn't because of joy you said, let me tell you something, kid. Let me tell you how you can find deep, lasting joy. It's like, no, no, just pursue happiness for a minute, and then everything comes back up later. You, you ever been there? It's like, yeah, we've done that with a kid. Here's, here's how I can distinguish for us, whether it's for kids or for adults, the difference between joy and happiness, though. Because, because, yeah, we can't just pursue happiness. We have to be pursuing joy. Happiness is based on what happens, you can find happiness based on circumstances or life or whatever it is, but joy is something greater, is something deeper. Here's the definition I want us to have for joy this morning. So if you're a note taker, uh, you can write this down. Joy is not the absence of sorrow, but a deep abiding pleasure in Christ, even in the middle of many trials. It's a deep abiding pleasure. And that word is important. It's not just uh, something that's passing. It's a pleasure that we find. What do you find pleasure in? Usually it's not something just fleeting. It's something deep, abiding, even in the midst of many trials. You see, the problem is, and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to go there with me this morning, you can. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at a, at a handful of verses. But the, the problem is that the church has adopted this idea that pain and sorrow is wrong or it's, it's evil. Or we've even adopted the idea that they are an illusion. And that if you're experiencing pain and sorrow, there must be some sort of sin in your life. 
Or we even step into this realm of, ah, that's not real. You're not really living your best life now. You must find your ultimate joy. If you're finding your joy in Christ, then pain and sorrow are the exact opposite. They are impossible. When we look at 1 Peter this morning, we need the truth of God to step into the middle of that lie. We look to God's word for correction. Finding joy in Christ is more than just a happy, clappy time. It's more than just singing a song and, all right, we're going to keep moving on with life. You got joy, you're happy, all right, brother. God bless you. Let's go on out. No, we can find joy. It's deep abiding pleasure even in the middle of trials. So we look, as we look at 1 Peter this morning, we have to understand the church here is experiencing deep suffering. They're being martyred for the sake of Christ. This is not just some, they're not just like, oh, man, I wish, we, I wish our, our seats all matched. I wish that we didn't have stains on the carpet. I wish we were getting out, you know, more tax money back. No, no, these folks are being killed for their faith. And we're going to see that Peter says, no, find your joy still in Christ. As we look at 1 Peter, I want us to reflect on these words from Psalm chapter 119. Repeat these words after me. Open my eyes that I might receive God's wonderful word to me. Amen. We're going to see a few things here from 1 Peter. We're going to look at what a joyful heart is. Before we do, let me read this passage to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we walk through here, we're going to see what a joyful heart is. The first thing is we walk back and look at verse number three. A joyful heart is a worshiping heart. A joyful heart is a worshiping heart. He begins this passage, he begins this letter to the church there in Rome, and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's difficult to be miserable when you are praising God. That's why we begin every single one of our Sunday gatherings with a call to worship. We're saying, come, turn your heart's attention and affections to Jesus Christ and him alone. That's why we sing songs about him being glorious, him being worthy, him being holy. We're saying, we're saying the same thing that he's saying here in, in verse number three. You are sovereign. You are good. You're gracious. You're merciful. We're declaring. We're worshiping. It reminds me of Acts chapter 16. These verses will be up on the screen. Paul and Silas are in prison. It says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. If you know the story there in Acts 16, there's a great earthquake that happens, and they're all freed. But before Paul and Silas run out, they go to the prison guard, and they say, let me tell you about the good news of the gospel. 
And he, be, he becomes saved, him and his family, we know that. But then in verse number 34, notice where that joy goes. It spreads. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them, talking about their enemy. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What you're focusing on guards, guides your heart and your attitude. What you're focusing on guides your heart and your attitude. So Peter begins here with a joyful heart is a worshiping heart. In Nehemiah chapter 8, it says this, and this is uh, after Ezra has opened the book of the law. They've just rediscovered these Old Testament writings. Notice what they say. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. Notice this last part, the last part of the sentence. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Literally in the Hebrew, what it says is, the Lord's joy is your strength. It's not just a joy that he's saying, hey, you can have this. He's saying, you can find my joy in yourself. That is beautiful. He gives part of himself in joy. Galatians chapter five, we know this is the fruit of the spirit, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. As we pursue Christ, we receive his joy. As we worship him, we receive his joy. But secondly, look at the other thing that we see in verse number three is that a joyful heart is rooted in the gospel. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you read this passage, before, before you read this passage, if I had to ask the question, what gives you joy? What gives you joy? A lot of things. But is your go-to, man, the thing that ultimately gives me joy is the fact that I was dead and now I'm made alive, that I was a sinner and now I'm a saint. We're going to share a lot of stories the next couple of weeks with family. You're going to watch a lot of hopefully good football games. You're going to watch your kids open presents. Is there ultimate joy in that or is there something more? When we look here and we say, man, Jesus Christ, he identified with me in life and in death and in resurrection. And now he's identifying with me as he sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for me as a mediator. Does that bring our hearts great joy? Because a joyful heart is rooted in the gospel. If you're finding your joy in sports, Every couple of weeks, every couple of months, at least every couple of years, you're going to be disappointed. If you're finding your ultimate joy in politics, every couple of years, you're going to be disappointed. Even if you're finding your joy in family, you're going to be disappointed all the time. If you're finding your joy in your finances, in money, or in retirement, we know that we are going to be disappointed. C.S. Lewis says this, joy is the serious business of heaven. So when we think about God, do we consider that he is a joyful God and that he gives himself to us in his joy? So we've seen here in verse number three, kind of this looking back at Christ's first advent. Here's what he has done. He lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended. But then as we look at verse number four, we begin looking forward to his second advent. And so the title of this series is A Tale of Two Advents. So we're looking back and we're looking forward. And right here, Peter makes this switch. Notice verse number four. 
He's called us, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed, not now, but in the last time. Everything that we have is going to break. It's breaking down. We're breaking down. <laughs> I'm breaking down. We can fight real hard against it, but we are. We just moved, and uh, even in going through some old memorabilia, I meant to bring in, um, a Ken Griffey Jr. card, a rookie card that I have, and I was going through some old baseball cards, and I was trying to figure out what they were worth. And I looked at that Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, rookie card, and this, this one had this blemish on the card. It was right below his eye, and it was printed that way. And I looked, and this card was worth hundreds of dollars. I was like, well, praise God. <laughs> That's almost as good as finding, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, like, behind a toilet. Uh, some of y'all are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You can go look that up. Happened a couple weeks ago out at uh, Joel Osteen's church. And so this is kind of the same thing, except not as much money. And so I found this Ken Griffey Jr. card, and I was like, man, I want to go. Not only that, I didn't just have one, I had two. Because I used to collect, I had, you know, hundreds, probably thousands of baseball cards. And I was like, man, this is awesome. But guess what? Even that Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card is going to break down. And eventually, give it a couple of years, Baseball cards are going to decline, and it's going to be worth nothing. I need to sell it now. I understand that. But eventually, everything we have is going to break down. But notice what he says here. He says, this is an inheritance in verse number four. Anybody here ever received an inheritance? Maybe, hopefully, good for you. Uh, whether it's a house or money or something incredibly valuable. That's what he says, this inheritance. But this inheritance is different. It's an inheritance that's not going to perish. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. That means it's perfect. It's not going to fade away. Here's the beauty of this inheritance. Because the inheritance always went to the oldest kid. But here we look and we don't say, well, I'm not the oldest kid. For me and my family, I'm the oldest kid. My parents are probably aren't going to leave me a whole lot. But here's the beauty of this spiritually for us that Peter is telling us is that our inheritance is guaranteed by our older brother, Jesus Christ. It is because Jesus Christ has this inheritance, this oneness, this presence with the Father, and he's guaranteed that through his first advent. So when we come into the scene, when we're adopted into the family, we get that same inheritance because of our better, older brother. That's why this inheritance is such good news. That's why there's a great treasure here because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. He's the better, older brother. But then we look at verse number Six. Not only does a joyful heart look forward to heaven, but a joyful heart is not a flippant heart. Verse six, in this you rejoice, and maybe this will hit home with us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This is not a, a glib or a shallow joy that we experience. See, we think we're either grieving, here being tried, or we're experiencing joy and everything is going well. But here he says, even in the midst of trial, in this already not yet state, even when you're in the middle of these trials, whatever that is, you can still find your joy in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's not, well, I'm either living like the guy on the Lego movie, everything is awesome. Yeah, all right, thumbs up. High five, guys. Or you're over here like Eeyore, just moping around. Oh, well, everything is terrible. He's saying, no, we find our joy not in the things that are happening. Remember, that's happiness. 
but we're finding our joy in Jesus Christ and him alone in the midst of various trials. I'm reminded by uh, Jesus Christ on the way to the cross. As he approaches the cross, he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is so grieved for this joy that is set before him, Hebrews 12. What is Jesus doing as he's praying? He's sweating drops of blood. In the midst of joy, there is grief. In the midst of grief, there is joy. And right before he goes there to the Garden of Gethsemane, he leaves the upper room after having communion, the last supper, with his disciples. Here's what it says in John chapter 15 and verse number 11. He's walking across. Notice what he says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, again, he possesses it, my joy that I have in and of myself and my presence may be in you and that your joy may be full. He says in the very next chapter, they're walking across from downtown Jerusalem over to the Garden of Gethsemane through the, uh, through the valley there. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In the next chapter, in chapter 17, he says, but now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. A joyful heart is not a flippant heart. If you've never felt true grief, and we all experience grief at different levels. You may not understand or appreciate true joy, and that's okay. But I would also say this. If you are always moping around, and if everything is terrible, you may not understand the joy that we have in Christ. Because even in the midst of trials and hardship, we still have hope. We still have the ability to smile. Not because life is good, but because Jesus is. So a joyful heart is not a flippant heart. Look at verse number seven with me. A joyful heart knows our suffering has purpose. Here in verse number seven, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, they would purify metals, and you probably know this, but they would purify metals by heating it up. And as they heat up metal, the impurities float to the surface and they would scrape that off. That way, getting a more and more pure type of metal so if your uh, ring or necklace or whatever it is is, is 10 karat gold, they did a pretty good bit of that. If it's 14 karat gold, they did even more of that. If it's 20 or 24 karat gold, they got rid of all of the impurities. And it was tested over and over and over and over again. Hardship has shaped you into the person that you are. It, maybe this morning you're like, man, life is, life is pretty good. It's okay. If I said, okay, so what, is, what has shaped you into this person? You can look back and say, it was this hardship in life. It was the way that I was raised. It was a relationship with someone. It was the downturn of the economy in 2008. Whatever that is, it has shaped you. But the reason for that, there is purpose in this sorrow. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just go. Uh, what doesn't kill you is going to make you stronger. In the midst of our suffering, Jesus draws us into a relationship with him. He doesn't say, hey, just go experience joy. Hope you find it. Good luck. There's light at the, end of the, at the end of the tunnel. No, he says, run to me. I am your joy, that my joy may be complete in you. Spurgeon says this, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, the prince of preachers, he said this, do not believe that any man will become a physician unless he walks the hospitals. And I am sure that no one will become a divine or become a comforter unless he lies in the hospital as well as he walks through it and has to suffer himself. 
He may make his sons of thunder anywhere, but his sons of consolation he must make in the fire and there alone. Who shall speak to those whose hearts are broken? As you look back, has your heart been broken? Because this is the purpose of that broken heart. Who shall bind up their wounds but those whose hearts have been broken also? And whose wounds have long run with the sore of grief? The purpose of your grief, the purpose of your trial, the purpose of your suffering, we may not know what it is. We don't know the purpose of some of those things. But church, this morning, you can hold on to the promise that our God is good that he is sovereign. And so I would plead with you, even in the midst of those, don't have a resentful heart, but have a heart that is focused on the goodness and the good pleasure of Jesus Christ. We can find our joy, not in better circumstances, but we can find our joy this morning in him. So a joyful heart knows our suffering has purpose. Lastly, in verse number eight, we see that, we see that a joyful heart loves Jesus. He says this, Though you have not seen him, which by the way is us. We haven't seen Jesus tangibly, physically. Though you do not see him, you love him. And if I were to take a poll, you would say, yeah, I love Jesus. So he's here talking about us. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, again, we're looking forward. Notice verse number nine. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In God's grace, he allows us to experience joy today. That's what Peter's saying. We get to experience joy in the good gifts of Jesus Christ. And he's given us lots of good things. Some of y'all enjoy a really good steak. I do. I love it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You enjoy just a really good steak. Maybe it's a ribeye cooked medium rare, right, with a little pat of butter on. Man, I'm getting hungry. I had, a, I had a, like a lame breakfast bar for, you know, this morning. You enjoy that. Now, you can find your joy either in the giver of that good gift or in the gift itself. Some of y'all enjoy nature. You enjoy walking around. Now, you can either find your joy and your happiness in the nature itself, or you can recognize that God has created all of these things. You can find joy in intimacy with your partner. Like, man, I love this person. I'm finding my joy in this person. Or you can look at the giver of all good things and recognize our joy is to be in him. These gifts that he has provided point us to him. When these good gifts are stripped away, and for all of us, you've had something taken away that you found joy in. Here's how you can know where your joy is. If when those good things are taken away, then your heart is filled with anger or envy or distaste or distrust for God, you can know that you are finding your joy in the gift rather than the giver. But when all else is stripped away from you, even like this church to the point of your life, and you are still finding your joy in the giver of all good things, then you know that your joy is in Jesus Christ and him alone. And so I would plead with you, don't look to the good things that Jesus has given us, but look to the giver. Look to Jesus Christ. It's his name that we praise. 
We talk about how, how, do we, how do we find peace? And I kept hearing that question over and over this week. Like, yeah, we can talk about peace, but how do we actually experience that peace? Can I tell you how you experience peace? In the presence of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you how you experience joy? In the presence of Jesus Christ. So don't pursue the things that he's given. Enjoy those things. But even in the midst of eating that good steak, in the midst of enjoying that gift, be thankful to him. Pursue presence with him in his word, in prayer. It's there that even the, the past few days, a lot of times on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings, um, I just turn on, I don't listen to music at any other time during the week, but, but I turn on songs that, um, that point my heart to the goodness of who Jesus Christ is. And it's there that I'm reminded, I am accepted by Jesus. That brings my heart great joy. And so this morning, family, if you're looking for your joy somewhere else, repent of that. Because none of those things will look at you and say, you are accepted. Those things cannot accept you. You're going to keep running after those things, and eventually they are going to be found as empty. Eventually you're going to be sitting here, man, where, where do I go? And Jesus Christ, even then, is going to be calling you and saying, to me, run to me. Run to my presence. Would you have ultimate satisfaction in Christ if that is all you had? If all you had is Jesus, would you have ultimate satisfaction in him? That's what he desires for you. Lasting joy comes from part of the triune God who came as a little baby. And if you've seen a baby, you just walk up to the baby and you're just oogling over the baby. Ooh, God, God. You know, it's, just, it's, it's beautiful. And every time you see a baby, it's just like, man, this baby gives life. There's so much joy there, right? If it's somebody else's baby. And, and my firstborn. Uh, but you just go to that baby, and every time you see it, it just brings life. And so Jesus came as one, the only begotten son, who doesn't just bring life the first time you see him, but every time you look at Jesus Christ, even as a child, a baby in the manger, he brings life and he brings joy again. That's the goodness of Jesus Christ. He lived perfectly. We were designed to live perfectly, but he came and he didn't just fulfill part of the law. He fulfilled the entire law for us. He took the wrath of the Father on himself. Hebrews chapter 12, I referenced it, but it's just a few pages before. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're in the middle of this race, and we're not just waiting till the end. We're not just pursuing death. Peter said we're pursuing salvation. We're pursuing joy in Christ. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Even in the midst of that suffering, it was his joy that he offers to us, for us. What a great sacrifice. He took the wrath of the Father so that we could experience joy. He was forsaken so that we could be accepted. He despised the shame. He is seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Jesus Christ took the wrath that we deserved to offer us acceptance, to offer us hope, to offer us peace, to offer us joy, because he is offering us himself. So family, look to him this morning. Run to him. Put your faith in him. Yet again, pursue his presence. As we look there at Hebrews chapter 12, I want us to ask the question, what gives you joy? And if it's something other than the presence of Christ, I want us to spend just a few moments repenting of that. I want us to spend a few minutes asking God the Father what it would look like to find joy in him. We're going to have a few people. They can get up now. We're going to have uh, some prayer stations. We've done this the past couple of weeks. Uh, but we're going to have folks who want to pray with you. And if for you, you're just like, man, I really want to pursue joy in Christ, but I don't know where to start. That's why we have these people here. Like Romans 12 says, we're surrounded by, uh, by here, uh, this, us, a body. We're surrounded by other saints. Let them pray with you. Let them speak joy and life into you, into your existence. And so if you need someone to pray with you, that's great. They're here. But for a moment, we're just going to be asking the Father for his presence to be made real in and through our lives. So church, let's spend a few minutes praying. I'll close this and then we'll move into a time of communion.